good evening everyone isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord tonight I want to take this opportunity to welcome all of you to Grace Church campus and of course those joining us on Facebook live and live stream we are so glad that you've chosen to be with us this evening I'd like to open up tonight with prayer and uh, let's let's just pray that God will be with us let's let's pray that he'll condition our minds and our hearts and our spirits for the word of God tonight we could be receptive. Can we do that together? Jesus, we enter into your gates with thanksgiving and we enter into your courts with praise. Lord, and we're so thankful for another opportunity to be in your house, Lord, to be with one another, to study your word, to, to just be uh, part of the kingdom tonight, Jesus. And so I pray that you would anoint what is done here on campus, uh, prepare our minds and our hearts for your word. Lord, let it produce fruit in our lives. And we give you all the praise. We give you all the praise. Everybody say in Jesus' name. Amen. As always, thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving. And we just uh, encourage you to continue to be faithful in giving. You can give online. And you can also give on the way out in Grand Central at the offering box. Just two announcements tonight. I want to remind you that next Tuesday, first Tuesday prayer has been dismissed. So please make a note of that. And in keeping with that, starting next Tuesday is camp meeting. It starts camp meeting at Tioga. If you can go to any uh, or all or part of the services at camp meeting, we encourage you to do so and let it be a blessing to you. Amen. Amen. You were brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. I don't believe that it's an accident that you and I are alive and part of the kingdom in this day. I don't believe that's an accident. I believe God hand chose us. I believe he, uh, he trusts us. He, he, be, he believes in us to get the job done. So don't be discouraged tonight. I just I want to encourage you, those that have gone on before us, the, the centuries of saints that have, that have carried the gospel torch and has brought it to this point, I want you to be encouraged tonight. God is with us. God has equipped us, and we are going to be victorious if we stay faithful. Amen? Amen. Why don't you clap your hands to Jesus tonight as pastor comes to teach Bible study. Well, greetings, everybody. Great to see you tonight. Uh, always great to see you and uh, thankful for your being here tonight. And uh, I trust that uh, your week has been fruitful so far and uh, that God has been good to you, certainly has been on our behalf and we're very thankful for that and uh, thankful for the service Sunday and a wonderful time here Sunday and uh, so thankful we're still rejoicing that uh, Marty's little boy Brady received the baptism of the Holy Ghost Sunday and that was just a wonderful wonderful thing he made the sweetest comment to his dad he said I love church now and uh, I'm not going to interpret what that meant before the Holy Ghost but uh, the Holy Ghost will make you love church. That's right, or at least should. Amen. But uh, we're thankful for that, rejoicing over that. He's to be baptized Sunday, and uh, we're looking forward to that, and we're rejoicing uh, with Marty and his family over somebody receiving the Holy Ghost is still miraculous to me. And uh, we rejoice about that. Uh, very thankful for that. I want to jump into Bible study tonight, and I want to continue tonight our study on the Ten Commandments and uh, it's been affirmed by a number of you that um, this this series so far has been uh, may I say very beneficial and I'm very thankful for that uh, and we're going to continue uh, tonight you will think when we talk about the Sixth Commandment that what has that to do with us and I will show you that as we uh, traverse towards um, the end of this Bible study tonight. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, just four words is our scripture text tonight. Thou shalt not kill. And there's so much in that, so much more in that uh, than most of us think or imagine. And uh, that's what we would like to share with you tonight. Let me begin by saying tonight that by the time the average North American child has reached the sixth grade, 
They've already witnessed over 8,000 murders and watched 100, over 100,000 acts of violence on television. More kids die from violence than from illness in our culture today. Nearly 2 million North Americans will become violent crime victims this year. And every 20 seconds in North America, every 20 seconds, someone is beaten, stabbed, shot, robbed, raped, or killed in the United States and Canada. So some of you are probably thinking, Pastor, you can skip this one. Um, again, that's why I said at the beginning it's more applicable than you think. And we'll come to that towards the end. But uh, your urge to murder, I hope, your urge to murder doesn't happen very often. Maybe when you're in traffic, uh, the thought may cross your mind a time or two depending on your patience level with people and how they drive their automobile or do not drive it. It's not like we have too many hit men in our church. As a matter of fact, we don't have any that I know of. Thought I might want to clarify that. But Clarence Darrow once said, I haven't killed anybody, but I've read a whole lot of obituaries with glee. So the Sixth Commandment, Y'all didn't catch that, obviously. He didn't kill these people, but he's sure glad they're dead. That's what he's saying. Uh, but the Sixth Commandment seems like it should be quite straightforward. But actually, it's oftentimes misinterpreted, misapplied, and misunderstood. In its basic form, this command states that no one but God has the right to take the life of an innocent human being. God creates and sustains man and he alone has the right to number man's days or determine when a person should die. I suppose one of the most difficult things that we deal with in our relationship with God, particularly in our understanding of God, is why some people die of certain things under certain circumstances and situations and then others do not. So before we look at what this commandment does teach, I would like to take a brief moment and share with you what it does not teach. And I hope for some of you this, this first point is going to be very exciting. There's three things that this commandment does not teach. One, it does not prohibit the killing of animals. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I mean, that's it? Nothing? Uh, did y'all eat any meat today? Anybody? Even chicken? Anybody eat any chicken to nothing? Nobody's going to nobody's gonna do nothing, okay. I know most of you and how you eat, and you're very thankful this commandment doesn't apply to that, whether you want to admit it or not. But the Bible is very clear about, about the difference between human life and animal life. Many times God commanded that animals should be sacrificed, and he is not contradicting himself in this commandment. He told Noah in Genesis chapter 9 verse 3 that every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. Even as a green herb have I given you all things. So you don't have to be a vegetarian unless you want to be. It's not commanded in the Bible. It's okay to eat animals for meat according to scripture. The reason I'm teaching, one reason I'm teaching this, and I have a little bit, a little bit of a bent, is because among our younger people, our culture has been beginning to influence them and uh, in what's right and what's not right over what the Bible teaches is right and not right. And uh, your culture, our culture, is not going to judge you when you die. I want everybody to understand that. Whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, if the Bible says it, then that's the way it's going to be. And I believe that. The second thing, and this may be offensive, especially to our younger folks here tonight, is the Bible does not prohibit capital punishment. It does not. Many times in Scripture, God commands capital punishment. And to maintain order in our society, he has allowed human governments to enforce the law and punish wrongdoers. In Leviticus twenty-four seventeen, the Bible said, And he that killeth any man 
shall surely be put to death. The Bible is very clear on that. The Hebrew phrase in the sixth commandment means no wrongful killing. It means no wrongful killing. It teaches that we must not just take a judicially innocent life is what that means. And is in accordance with the biblical principle that an accused person is innocent until proven guilty. And I believe tonight, and and the Bible has been very clear, has set many precedents throughout the Old Testament, even the New Testament, and we certainly see it in the last days as we come closer and closer to rapture, that God wants justice in His world. Yes, He does. God also demands swift justice. Yes, He does. Our system of appeals has made a mockery of that here in the United States. When the uh, United States President William McKinley was assassinated. His killer was caught, convicted, and executed 53 days later. Not a chance that that would happen today. <clears throat> when Ted Bundy was finally executed after killing so many women, it was 11 years after his crimes. And U.S. taxpayers paid for his room and board all those years so he could appeal. And I don't believe that's justice. Some people say, I don't think capital punishment deters criminals. It deters the one that executes. That person is not going to rape or murder anyone anymore. So why not just give him a life sentence? Because a criminal given a life sentence in North America is now only in prison for an average of eight years. I don't call that justice. Oliver William Holmes said, justice delayed is justice denied. The third thing, the... Sixth commandment does not teach, is, does not prohibit going to war. And I know this is a, a subject that's very dear to a lot of people. I've known several people that have been in military as a conscientious objector with their own personal conviction, and I respect that. But you'll recall with me in Scripture that God sent his people to war many times. And his word teaches us that there are some things worth fighting and even dying for. And it is a right to fight in order to preserve freedom, defend innocent people, and to stop the spread of evil. The wise man said, and don't forget it, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 8, there's a time to love, there's a time to hate, and there's a time of war, and there's a time of peace. The German Protestant minister, Martin A. Moeller, said this about the Nazis. When Hitler attacked the Jews, he said, I was not a Jew, therefore I was not concerned. And then when Hitler attacked the Catholics, I was not a Catholic, and therefore I was not concerned. And when Hitler attacked the unions and the industrialists, I was not a member of the unions, and I was not concerned. Then Hitler attacked me in the Protestant church, and there was nobody left to be concerned. A statement well said, and I think one that we need to give some thought to. So I'm talking to you tonight about my title that I have chosen for this is the value of life. So let me talk for a few moments tonight about what I believe the third command or the uh, sixth commandment is talking about. There's actually five ways that God esteems the individual. God esteems your life. He esteems mine. So what does the commandment do not murder have to do with my family, you may ask? Well, the very first murder in the Bible happened in a family when Cain killed his brother Abel. And there was no law in place at that time, so he lived. In fact, today's most violent crimes and murders are committed by one family member against the other, and that is a fact. But the Sixth Commandment has a much wider view than just the act of murder. It includes any attitude or action that leads society in the direction of murder. God is saying to all of us tonight, that we should value the individual. There are five applications that I want to share with you tonight of God's sixth commandment. First of all, it's obvious that God says no to murder. The most obvious meaning of this commandment is that we are not to kill another person. The prohibition against murder appears in all five books of the Torah. That's the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. 
there's a prohibition against murder in all five of those books. In fact, it is the only law, it is the only commandment to be repeated, to be repeated in every one of the five books. So obviously this commandment is important to God. You may believe that murder is wrong because society says so. And I know we get the daily blitz of media. I've turned mine off. I, I, just, I, I just don't do it no more. Uh, don't know what to believe, etc. You can do as you feel, of course. But society, our culture, particularly our media, they're reprogramming us. They're, they're, they're trying to persuade us that there are some points of view, especially those that are biblical, are not relevant anymore, they're not necessary, they're not true. But then you have to respect that in Nazi Germany and much of Eastern Europe, because it was acceptable in their culture back then, just before World War II, it was acceptable to kill Jews and gypsies and homosexuals and the severely retarded and any other group deemed inferior. Their society and culture accepted that. Hitler came to power through the democratic process. And the support of the people kept him empowered. German society said murder was acceptable. That society could pick where it was acceptable and where it wasn't. And today there are societies where it is acceptable to murder Certain ethnic groups, that is what has happened in Bosnia, Iraq, Ethiopia, Russia, and other countries. Their society says murder is acceptable. The fact that somebody is approved of by society does not make it objectively right. It does not. So murder is not wrong just because society said so, but it's wrong because God said so. Murder is wrong because life is a gift from God. And every murder is a direct attack on God. Again, God talking to Noah said, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. The only thing that keeps the North American murder rate down is the increase in prison population, which has quadrupled in the past 25 years. Now there's no more room in prison, and they're letting more and more criminals run free. But notice this tonight. A wound that would have killed 9 out of 10 soldiers in World War II, 9 out of 10 would survive that same wound today. By a conservative estimate, if we had 1940-level medical technology today, our murder rate would be 10 times higher than what it is because people where there's attempted murder are treated medically and they survive. So we must constantly guard our families against the movie mentality that devalues human life. About 350 characters appear each night on primetime television with an average of seven, seven of them murdered every night on television. If this rate was reality, then in two months everyone in North America would be killed and the last one left would turn off the television. Human life is cheap in Hollywood. Yes, it is. David Grossman is a military psychologist who coined the term killology for the study of the methods and psychological effects of training army recruits to circumvent their, national their natural inhibitions to killing fellow human beings. Except in sociopaths, killing requires training because there's a built-in aversion in most species to killing one's own kind. Grossman states unequivocally that the same tactics used in training soldiers are at work in our media. We're being reprogrammed by the media to look differently on all these things and losing and drifting away from what the Bible teaches about these things. Every time a child sees a violent movie or plays a violent interactive video game, he is learning the exact same condition reflex skills as a soldier or a police officer in training. The Journal of the American Medical Association has published a definitive study on the impact of television violence. Their statistics show that in every nation, region, or city where television has been introduced, 
there's an immediate explosion of violence on the playground at school. And within 15 years, there's a doubling of the murder rate. Why 15 years? Because that's how long it takes for a desensitized three to five-year-old to reach prime crime age of 18 to 20. Rachel Scott, the uh, Columbine victim, you may remember her, wrote this poem just days before her murder. She said, I'm drowning in my own lake of despair. I'm choking, my hands wrapped around my neck. I'm dying. Quickly, my soul leaves. Slowly, my body withers. It isn't suicide. I consider it homicide. The world you have created has led to my death, she wrote just a few days before she was killed at Columbine. The second thing this scripture says about killing, thou shalt not kill, and I don't mean to be morbid here tonight, I'm just teaching what the Bible says. But God says no to suicide. On average, one suicide occurs every 16 minutes. Suicide is the 11th leading cause of death for all Americans. Suicide is the third leading cause of death for young people aged 15 to 24. Number one is accidents. Number two is homicide. Number three is suicide. Suicide is the second leading cause of death for 25 to 34-year-olds. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among college students. Some of you people, or some people think that it's my life and I have a right to live it and I have a, a right to end it as I want, but the Bible disagrees with that principle. Job said, seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bonds that he could not pass. Paul said in Romans 14, 7, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. Our bodies are not ours to do with what we wish. God decides the number of days that we're going to live, and he doesn't want us to try to short-circuit our lifespan. Suicidal behaviors are also prohibited by the Sixth Commandment. Promiscuous sex in the age of all the sexual transmitted diseases, etc., along with drunk driving, drug abuse, overeating, not taking care of our health, and so on. All of this goes under the umbrella of the Sixth Commandment. Most of us at different times have felt enough despair to wonder, is my, wife, is my life worth living? If you've ever considered suicide, remember that there is hope. And if you don't matter to anyone else, you always matter to God. I want to tell maybe somebody here tonight or somebody watching via live stream along the ocean coast, you can watch the tide. When it goes out, it always comes back in. The tide may be out in your life right now, but when the tide is out, the beach is ugly. But wait for the tide to come back in. The sun always shines after the darkness. Yes, it does. The third thing this commandment says tonight, are y'all up with me? I'm going kind of fast. Y'all up with me tonight? God says no to mercy killing. <clears throat> I'm going to go back in a little bit of our history for this portion tonight. But the technical term for mercy killing is called euthanasia. It doesn't mean young people living in Asia. If anybody's ever heard this word, that's not what it means. It means to cause the death of someone because of deformity, old age, or an incurable disease. It does not refer to allowing death to occur naturally by removing artificial life support. Mercy killing is currently receiving a great deal of favorable press in North America. Uh, I understand it's a part of what we call Obamacare, the national health care, that there's a portion in there for euthanasia. But it was introduced to us, and this is where I'm going back a little bit in our history, but it's, it was introduced to us, and it got a great deal of favorable press in North America, mainly due to the efforts of the Michigan doctor, Jack Kevorkian. Anybody remember that name? That's a blast from the past, ain't it? Dr. Death left so many bodies in motel rooms that the motel association complained about the cost of cleaning up after his visits. He finally went too far by allowing one of his assisted suicides to be filmed and aired on U.S. television. And as a result, he was convicted 
of second-degree murder by a Michigan court and sentenced to 10 to 25 years in prison. However, 55% of Americans believe that the jury should have never convicted Kevorkian. This is where I'm teaching you folks tonight that society, just because society says something right is right, doesn't mean that it's right. If the current trend towards legalizing assistant suicide continues, he'll probably become a martyr for the cause. <clears throat> Diane Culbertson, writer for USA Today, said if Kevorkian's type of killer medicine becomes accepted, what horrors the future could hold. The progression is obvious from assisted death to suggesting death to insisting on death. An unfavorable scenario, not at all. What many North Americans do not realize is that another country has run the full gamut when it comes to euthanasia. Mercy killing has been practiced in Holland for the past 40 plus years. The New England Journal of Medicine states that more than one in 42 deaths in Holland were assisted suicide. Even more alarming, one in four doctors admit uh, killing patients without the patient's consent. Almost 80% of the Dutch physicians have now had experience with euthanasia. Those who do kill often report nightmares afterwards. Why? Because they're taking on a responsibility that God never intended for them to have. Only God has the right to determine when me and you should stop living. I know this is debated and there's people on both sides of this thing, but I have to go with the Bible tonight. I have to go with the Bible. The Bible said in Job 12:10 that it is God who directs the lives of his creatures, and every man's life is in his power. I'm going to go to a real touchy subject tonight. Again, our young folks are in here, and God only knows what you've heard on the media about this subject, but I'm going to teach you what I believe the Bible teaches about it. But God says no to abortion. Babies that were born premature and lived has brought so much happiness to their parents, and I know some, know plenty. Imagine if they had been aborted. This year on planet Earth, there will be over 205 million babies aborted. I've often wondered what some of these babies could have brought to our world, to our culture, to medicine, to politics, to all of that, had they lived. The lifetime average in our world is now one Abortion per woman, believe it or not, the lifetime average. In the United States, about half of all pregnancies are unintended. Of all unintended pregnancies, four in ten are aborted. Twenty-one percent of all pregnancies in the U.S. end in abortion, not including natural miscarriages, etc. Ninety-seven percent of abortions are not because of rape or incest or because the life of the mother is threatened. They occur simply because the mother feels that the child would be an inconvenience to her life and to her lifestyle. So from a human viewpoint, we may have unplanned pregnancies, but there are no accidental conceptions with God. And he doesn't love a child less just because that child wasn't planned. I want to just say a little side note here, and I don't want to offend anybody here tonight. But there's long, long lines of people wanting to adopt a child. Why not give the baby to them? No matter what the circumstance of the conception, God can bring good out of it. A pro-abortion bumper sticker says that every child is a wanted child fallacy of that is that God wants every child. With God, there's none that's unwanted. There's no such thing as an unwanted child. These terminations of human life are justified by our self-centered culture who sees a fetus as simply a blob of tissue. However, God alone reserves the right to decide when or what makes someone a human person. We all know that the Supreme Court ruled and took away the personhood of an entire class of Americans in the 1973 case of Norma McCorvey, better known as her alias Jane Roe. In doing so, they advanced the same four arguments. Preborns are human, but not persons, they say. 
Babies become legal persons only after they are born. Before then, babies have no legal rights. And a woman has the right to choose to do with her own body, including the fetus, what she pleases. But I'd like to ask the question tonight, and so has millions of others, is a fetus her body or its own? Denying personhood to human beings was wrong in 1973, and denying personhood to human beings is still wrong today. Why? Because it breaks God's sixth commandment by taking away someone's life. The psalmist said in Psalm 113, 139, verse 13, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. And that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought into the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did not did, did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. So by now you may think that the sixth commandment was obviously was absolutely nothing to do with your family. However, there's one last way God wants us to value the individual, and this one really hits home tonight. God says no to abuse. I want everybody to listen. Child abuse cases in America have seen a staggering rise of over 1,700% since the 1970s. 1,700%. Many abortionists claimed that the dramatic rise in abortions during the last 30 years would practically eliminate such abuse, but they were obviously sadly mistaken. As well, the American divorce rate has increased more than five times in the same period, with more homes, with more than hundreds now occurring every day. Our homes have become a battleground. And abuse is the weapon of choice in so many families. There's people here tonight, I'm trying to be very careful. I want to be as compassionate and understanding as I can. There's people here tonight that's been on the wrong side of abuse. Jesus taught that there's little difference between murder, gossip, and verbal abuse because they all flow from the same source, and that is a heart of hate. They all kill. There's more than one way to murder someone. And here's what Jesus said about commandment number six. In Matthew chapter five, verse 21, he said, You have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that, whoso, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Rekha, shall be in danger of the council, and whosoever shall say thy fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Let me explain. Rekha is an Aramaic transliteration for a term expressing contempt, scorn, or disdain. The Greek word means empty, vain, or worthless one, signifying a lack of intellect. It's calling someone an imbecile or a blockhead. It's only found in Matthew 5.22. The Jews used it as a word of contempt. It's, it is derived from a root word meaning to spit. So when you assault someone verbally, even before you use your hands or a, a weapon or an object, it's coming from the same source as murder does. It's coming from the same source. Everybody understand that? When unresolved anger is present in a relationship, it will not rest until it has displayed itself in a hateful attitude that demeans the other person. When unresolved anger is present in a relationship, it will not rest until it has displayed itself in a hateful attitude that demeans the other person. There's a big part of me that wants to read that again. When murderers kill, they usurp God's right to measure a man's days. But when abusers kill, they usurp God's right to measure a man's worth. John said in his epistle, 1 John 3, 15, Whosoever hate, hateth his brother is a murderer. 
And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. So a Christian home should not exemplify this kind of behavior. So what happens when the inevitable conflicts come? I'll give you some pointers tonight. There's so many things I want to say here, but I'm trying to stick to the script. I've talked before, I've said before that Sister Murph and I agreed when we got married that there were words that we would never use with each other and certainly with our children. We wouldn't allow shouting in our home. Nobody has a hearing deficit in our home. Nobody had one. Um, there's been several times when, when my two were growing up, they, they'd shout at me or their mom or each other about stuff and my pat answer was, hey, nobody's riding on the back of a tractor right now. We, we don't have any trouble hearing you. You can talk in a normal tone of voice. Just, just pipe it down a little bit. There's so many things that could be said here. So what do you do when anger comes? And it does. I think we're all human and everybody gets angry. But the Bible said to be angry and sin not. You learn how to control it. You control it. It doesn't control you. Um, Please keep your dumb mouth shut when you're emotional because you're always going to say things you regret. When you're emotional, you lose logic. Everybody remember that. So I want to give you some things that you will find, most some of you may find virtually impossible to do, but I'm going to give it to you anyway so I can sleep better tonight. At least I tried. I'm going to use the word fights tonight as a a go-by, maybe it'll help you remember it. You can take a picture of the screen as we go through this or jot it down real quick, whatever you want to do. But let's take the first letter, fight F. Let it, let it represent face each other. It's kind of hard to just shout at somebody and be real ugly when it's somebody you really love, especially when you're looking them dead in the eye. Maybe for some of you it's not, but to me it's easier just to rail on somebody when you're mumbling on your breath walking away anybody know what he you stupid idiot I get so fed up with that person and they say wait what did you say and what do you say nothing see that's what I'm talking about so face each other walking off or involving yourself in something else leaves no room for discussion because you are absent whether you're still in the room or not you're absent if you're not paying attention Newspapers, magazines, phones, iPads, computer screens, they become all of a sudden great cover when you don't want to look so-and-so in the eye standing over there. The wise man said in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, that a soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. So just do your best. Keep your head on straight. I've been angry on numerous occasions, and will tell the person, I don't want to talk about all this right now. Give me a day or two. I'm going to calm down, get my bearings, get my logic back, and then we'll discuss it when I'm not so emotional about it. That is a true statement. I've said that many times. The letter I in the word fights is to ignore distractions. Don't resort to chasing rabbits to throw your the person you're arguing with off the subject and keep you from having to face the facts. Don't do that. The Bible said, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. I'm trying to help somebody here tonight. The letter G is to guard your tongue. And man, that's hard to do when you're angry. Oh, goodness, that's hard to do. And it feels so good to just let somebody have it, man. I've known all of my life that you were a no good coward, you cheating, you lying, you stealing, you murdering, you this, you that, put whatever you want in the blank. It feels so good when you're saying it. But sooner or later, the reality of what you say is going to come home. And it makes you feel pretty wicked. How many has had the experience of very carefully and discreetly disciplining your children, especially when they were much younger? You just pop them on the diaper and 
they scream like they're dying, they're being axe murdered or whatever. It's just a and you feel bad, but nonetheless, you're still irritated because they wouldn't do what you told them to do 28 times. And finally, they go to sleep. And you walk over to their baby bed, and that little night light's on, casting that little gentle glow of yellow light across that little angelic face. And you look at them and say, how in the world could I be so mean to that little angel? And then the next morning, about 8 o'clock, you remember why. You, you, so it, it, it reminds you. But, but guard your tongue. Once personal attacks or name-calling began, the person you're arguing with is too busy defending themselves to listen to you. The tongue is a fire, the Bible said, a world of iniquity. It is set on fire, the Bible said, of hell in these moments. This is the source that murder comes from the same source you may not go that far but you're still fishing out of that stream the H is to halt the history <laughs> this is interesting because everybody does it you go in and start fussing at your spouse or your kids about something and this is their default defense well do you remember when you did da 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 you bring up the past. And the older you are, well, the less of it you remember. You try to remember, but you just say, well, you know what I'm talking about. Has anybody ever been there? <clears throat> but bring up the past is telling the person that you're having the disagreement with that nothing will ever change because the past has never been forgiven. That's what it says. Jesus said, don't judge others and God won't judge you. Don't be hard on others and God won't be hard on you. Forgive others and God will forgive you. The letter T and the word fights is touch. Somehow this position softens the heart, making us more vulnerable, reasonable, and caring. There was a, a lady on the radio years ago, is, I guess right after we moved, maybe it was in the 90s, uh, on WJBO, uh, Dr. Joy Brown. Anybody remember her? No, never mind. Uh, nothing I say to you tonight gets any kind of response back, nothing. So I'm just going to quit asking. Anyway, I remember one time she said, when you're having a disagreement with your spouse, sit down at the kitchen table and hold hands. I'm like, right, that's going to happen. I want to take this hand and, you know, do something else with it is what you want to do. But the Bible said to stop being bitter and angry and mad at others. Don't yell at one another or curse each other. Don't ever be rude. Instead, be kind and merciful and forgive others just as God forgave you because of Christ. I want to make this statement. The fruit of the Spirit, I've taught this for years and I still believe it. I've not yet perfected it. I keep working on it every day. God knows my heart. But the fruit of the Spirit begins at home. The fruit of the Spirit begins in your marriage. The fruit of the Spirit begins in your parenting. And it's annoying when you have people that are nice to each other at church and then go home and feed, treat their family like dirt. That's not Christianity. And your kids catch on to that pretty quick. Well, Dad, you were being nice to Brother So-and-so at church five minutes ago. Why aren't you yelling at me? And it's a valid statement. The word S to wrap this up tonight is stay in there. Let me remind you tonight that surgeons can't quit in the middle of a surgery. Have you ever thought about that? What if uh, you're having open heart surgery? It's going to take four or five hours. And uh, about halfway through the surgery, remember, oh, man, I got an appointment. I got to meet somebody at the golf club. Uh, see you later. And just walks away. They don't quit until the whole procedure does a complete rotation where the whole thing is finished, the whole thing is completed. I, I've known of surgeries. I know somebody that was in surgery for over 18 hours. It took over six teams of surgeons to operate on this person, and not one of them quit. They all stayed with it until the process was complete. Surgeons can't quit while there's an open wound, or they'll fight infection with that patient for months and sometimes years. The Bible teaches. We don't always do it. I don't always do it. I have to repent often. Every day. 
sometimes three times a day. Depending on the pressure and stress, I repent about every five minutes, just being honest. But the Bible teaches to finish the fight before the day's out. Boy, that's hard to do. Any married couples here tonight, would you raise your hand to that? Now, anybody, Darren, do we need to have a conversation after church tonight? Y'all not married or nothing? I said, he just, hmm. <laughs> he still ain't raising his hand. I'm getting kind of nervous here. I'm teasing. Um, but any married couples here tonight that just have that knockdown drag out with your spouse and then you go to bed that night and, buddy, you, you balance on the edge of the bed. And he or she balances on the other edge of the bed. And this can go on for three or four nights in a row. And after a while, the reason I'm so knowledgeable of this, I've been married for a while. Anyway, Sister Murphy and I have done this on occasions, okay? Brother, you've missed it. Boy, y'all are stoic here tonight, man. I... Anyway, but after a while, you start realizing how stupid this is. It's just a ridiculous waste of time or whatever. But nobody wants to be the first to give in. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's why I said a little while ago I, had to, I have to repent a lot. I do. Because I ain't even hearing nothing over fear in the preacher section. Everybody's dead quiet here tonight. I ain't, I ain't kicking nobody to the curb here. But the Bible teaches to finish the fight the same day. That's what it says. Now, I could lay in bed and say, God, forgive me for being an idiot and for getting mad at my wife, my kids, whoever, church people, every God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. But that ain't following up with them. They don't know I'm doing all that. I'm just trying to be right with God, not them. That's not what the Bible teaches. All right, we'll have altar service Sunday, I hope. And it's July 4th, and maybe you can get your independence Marital and parental independence back Sunday. I don't know. We'll see. But the Bible said to not let the sun go down on your wrath, for anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. The the Bible teaches. Yes, it does. So do you feel like you've broken God's sixth commandment in some way? These things that I've talked about tonight, it comes from that source or root of murder. Anger does comes from that same, you're fishing in the same stream. So now how do you feel about the sixth commandment? If we don't value the individual in the way God does, then we become murderers in his sight. That's something to think about. That's what he's teaching. But God forgives murderers if they repent. In fact, Most of the Bible was written by three men who were once murderers. Most of the Bible were written by three men who were once murderers. Paul, David, and Moses. Isn't that interesting? So when you say God doesn't value me because I have anger problems, I have anger issues, I I take my anger out on people and I rage and Many times I come just short of killing people, all of it, but it's still coming from the same things. God used people who killed people to write the Bible. What could he do with you if you're willing to repent? The Bible said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank the Lord. Stand with me tonight. So if you've come tonight angry with your spouse... <laughs> are your children maybe you could uh, kiss and make up before you go to sleep tonight that man does anybody find it hard to say I'm sorry and really mean it I know there's people that will just slough off something oh, I'm sorry and you just get rid of the moment but to really mean it Sometimes it's hard, especially when you feel like you were right. I ain't going to apologize to that witch. I was right all along. You can say what you want. I'm just speaking. You may not say it, but you think it. I ain't going to apologize to him. 
I remember three months ago he did such and such and such and such. So we try to keep the, the, the scales balanced on who did the most wrong with each other. When really and truly we need to keep the scales balanced on how much we've forgiven one another. And that's a whole nother task, isn't it? I'd like for us to pray tonight that God would help us, that God would help our families, that God would help our country. Could we do that before we leave tonight? Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. We're thankful for this amazing time in the word of God. It is still ever true. It is still ever relevant. It's so necessary and important. It's so necessary and important. In our lives, in our marriage, our homes, as parents, we've got to have the word of God. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our pathway. And I pray, God, that we can bury it in our hearts. And I pray that you love our families tonight, our, our people that are married, our people that are single. I pray for our kids, our students. God, we need you. We need you. We need you so much. We need you so much. Every day we need you. And I pray, God, that you hold us in your hand. Love us with your arms. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. Thank you for being here. It's been great to share the word of God with you. Lord willing, we'll see you Sunday morning.